0: Person who's translating, but I'm super grateful and thankful for uh, for Jacob, for Abigail, for each and every single one of you guys that are here this morning. You know, in a part of uh, City Light Mosaic. You know, just just taking us in and and raising us up and teaching us and embracing all the areas where I suck a whole lot, and not not losing it on me and just loving us through it. So I'm very thankful. We have an amazing pastor. I hope you guys really know that. If you don't know now, you know. You know, so. Open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, it is, the the title of this message is Joyful Partnership. And so here we are, obviously, in the book of Philippians, and and this book has been uh, so much value to me, and I have to admit, you know, I get pretty sentimental every time that I open this book uh, you see, this is the very book that we started with when we began to work together uh, at, at planning Imago Day. as we began to meet in our living rooms. This was the very book that we, we started with. We, we sat in living rooms for months just working through Philippians and growing deeper with one another, building relationships with each other, working through our mission and our vision with each other, um, establishing a joyful partnership that's rooted in the gospel so like I said, last year at this time, almost actually probably to the day, I was considering abandoning church planting and moving back to Missouri. Uh, I was going to leave Omaha and go back home, and And Jacob and Ryan Johnston had had met with me in a hotel room in Kansas City late one night, and some of you guys may know this story. We were down there for, for the church at Midwestern, and they met with me late one night in a, in a hotel room, and they encouraged me to, to join Mosaic. They invited me to join Mosaic, to uh, encourage me to, to continue in church planning, to be trained up, to, uh, to be sent out by each and every one of you beautiful people. And this was, uh, see there was like a very serious partnership in the gospel that was occurring at that very moment. Like these men were demonstrating uh, that they were willing to do anything to, to further the gospel here in Omaha and to invest in my wife and I and my family as they sat up late that night with me. And later that week, through prayer and and, and, and and just seeking the Lord, my wife and I agreed that we were to stay in Omaha, embark on this journey of church planning and begin the beautiful partnership between us and City Light Mosaic. And, it, and this wasn't the only partnership that we had, however. People like the Hoffmans, men and Amanda invested in us since day one. I can remember when we first began to feel a call to come here to Omaha. We sat in their living room and we talked to them about these things and they're like, we're on board. We wanna support you guys in prayer and in and, 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 and other ways. And then. Long story short, here they are on our team just believing in us and believing in the God who empowers us. It's been amazing. and I can't tell you how thankful I am for for this family and families like them because we wouldn't be here today if God hadn't used them, if God hadn't hadn't used our pastor, if he hadn't used you guys as a church to help us along the way. We wouldn't be here. So enough about me, though. Let's let's get into the Word of God. And, And we find here... In Philippians chapter 1, in verses 1 and 2, the greeting of this letter, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And God, we believe in your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray that, God, you would... um, Just open our ears and open our minds, open our hearts to receive your truth. Get me far out of the way and help me to to speak as a dying man to a dying people that we would be able to, like I said, receive your truth and be changed by it. God, I just pray that you would place on each and every one of our hearts how we could grow deeper in partnership in the gospel this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So in the greeting, we find the author and the recipients of this letter. Um, you know, in kind of in writing nowadays, we would tag those things at the very end or something. But here it's very clear in the book of Philippians who the author and who the recipients are of this letter. We know by the first person style of writing that Paul is the author, and, and many and as you see there, it says Paul and Timothy. And many scholars claim, and I agree as well, that Timothy may have helped with the letter. But he's mainly mentioned here because of his reputation with the Philippians. And like I said, look at the first person style of writing. You don't see Paul saying we, we, we. We see him saying I, me, and my, right? And so Paul founded Uh, This church in Philippi during his second missionary journey and Timothy was with him during this uh, finding of the church founding of the church and Timothy's name is also mentioned as Paul desires to send Timothy to the church of Philippi we'll see that later in the in the book of Philippians and Paul talks highly of Timothy we see that in chapter 2. So the letter is into the entire church in Philippi. We see that it says to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and with the deacons. And so it is, so with the elders and the deacons, it's an established church. And this letter is what is known as a prison epistle. You see, Paul wrote this letter along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon while he was uh, under house arrest in Rome awaiting trial. We'll see that we see that kind of him progress into that position uh, in the book of Acts. And Paul writes this letter with various purposes, but the main purpose is that this letter is a letter of thanksgiving to the church in Philippi for their partnership in the gospel. This is a letter of joy as he expresses gratitude for their fellowship. It's a letter commending Epaphroditus for his sacrificial servanthood as he almost died bringing gifts from the Philippians to Paul in Rome. It's a letter that invokes unity in the church as displayed in Christ emptying himself and taking on the form of, the ser- uh, of a servant. We see that in chapter 2. And finally, it's a letter of joyful endurance in all things. This is a very personal letter letter from Paul to the church in Philippi, and we are privileged to hold this book in our hands today. It's a beautiful example, as I said, of joyful endurance, unity, and partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ as citizens of heaven. In verses 3 through 11, I'm going to, my desire is to identify three ways that Paul interacts in his joyful partnership with the Philippians. So join me as we read the rest of this chapter, or the rest of uh, 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of this grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you all may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the first way that... That Paul interacts with his joyful partnership with the Philippians is that in this joyful partnership, Paul is thinking of them. And we see this in verses three through six. So look at three and four with me. Verses three and four I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you'll often see that this is a very familiar style that Paul begins all of his letters with except for the book of Galatians. Now, in Galatians, many of us know that that Paul is kind of, uh, he has a lot to deal with in that book, and so he's setting a tone for the heavy discussion that's going to follow, so he omits saying this for whatever reason. However, there's no heavy discussion to, to follow the greeting in this book, the book of Philippians. And for Paul to begin almost every letter by thanking God is not mundane, it's not stereotypical. However, it speaks volume to the outflow of his heart as a deeply spiritual man. In this particular instance, Paul's thanksgiving is stirred up by his remembrance of the saints in Philippi. His entire remembrance of them was good overall and it produced this God-glorifying thanksgiving and a passionate, joy-filled prayer on their behalf. So what exactly was it that made Paul thank God and pray for the Philippians with joy upon his remembrance of them? Well, in verse 5, it gives us incredible insights to that question. So fix your eyes there on the scriptures. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So if we take this back to Acts chapter 16 during Paul's second missionary journey. After Paul received the vision from the Macedonian man, he proceeds to Philippi. And after arriving at Philippi, Philippi, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke discover that there is no Jewish synagogue. So they walk to the riverside where they expect to find a place of prayer, which was a very common practice when there was no synagogue in a town. Uh, And back in that day, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue, and there obviously was not that many God-fearing Jews in the town. And so this is where they actually meet Lydia. And we know the scriptures, it says that God opened her eyes or opened her heart to receive the truth of the gospel. And her and her whole household were baptized, and the church of Philippi was born. And Lydia invited the missionaries into her home, thus beginning this Philippian partnership in the gospel with Paul. And that was the first day That's Paul's speaking of, their partnership from the first day until now. <clears throat> and much has happened between then and now when Paul, or then and when Paul wrote this letter. There are memories that Paul has with the Philippians that we know nothing about. However, the scriptural evidence that we do have is the magnificent conversion of the Philippian jailer. That's one of them. You think about that. Remember when Paul and Silas are, are in jail, right, and they're in those fetters and they're singing praises all night long, and then God moves in this uh, amazing earthquake. It shakes their fetters free. It opens up the doors, and the Philippian jailer is about to fall on a sore and die because he knows that if they escape, it's going to be his behind that's in trouble, right? And, and Paul says, wait, don't do that. The dude gets saved, he brings them into the house, washes their wounds, him and his whole household are baptized, he brings them back after washing their wounds. And then again, after that, we have the encouragement that they received from the brethren in Lydia's house after they were released and going on their way, after they'd been kicked out of the town, after they were arrested for casting that demon out of that girl. And Paul received, we have another account that Paul receives gifts from the church in Philippi on at least two separate occasions. We see that in 2 Corinthians eleven nine 9 and Philippians four sixteen. But most recently, in regards to this letter, Paul receives a warm greeting from a deathly ill and determined Epaphroditus, bearing gifts for Paul during his house arrest in Rome. So over and over and over again, the church in Philippi has proven, they've proven how much they value their partnership with Paul in the gospel. And It is in this thought that, that Paul is able to say, verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In writing, verse 6, Paul has eternity in mind. He isn't insinuating anything monetary, any of these gifts that the Philippians has brought him, or anything like that. No, by saying good work, Paul is referring to their salvation. Amen? See, Paul understands just as it was God who opened Lydia's heart to receive the the truth that very first day, it will be God who will bring about the consummation of their salvation. It's the very event we long for, the glorious return of Christ when he comes to gather his church, uh, his bride dressed in white to himself. That's what he has in mind. And again, Paul is saying that he is 100% sure that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He's saying that there is no height, nor depth, nor nothing in life or in death that could hinder the accomplishment of God's good work in their lives, amen? Paul's expressing his assurance of their salvation. He is sure because it is so obvious. It's obvious that God is working through them in this partnership in the gospel. Paul knows without a doubt that this church that he loves and adores so much are fellow citizens of heaven. And knowing that and knowing that God is at work in the lives of the churches that that he had a part in starting is a source of great joy for Paul. Let me just step off track for a moment and say this. Think about it, a few months from now, a few years from now, whenever that God decides to give the increase, and as God begins to continue to work at Imago Day, and you guys catch wind of it from just two miles down the road or so, you guys are going to experience great joy. You guys are going to know, hey man, we had we had a, a partnership, we have a partnership with that church, We we helped launch them out, we helped raise them up and send them out, and now look what God is doing down there on 51st and Center, isn't that amazing? So pretty soon, you guys are going to say, man, this is so exciting. I have so much joy to see my brothers and my sisters flourishing in the Lord and seeing what God is doing over there, amen? And this is kind of the, the same attitude that Paul has. It brings him great joy. See, even in his imprisonment, Paul is able to rejoice as he considers the fellowship that he has with the, Philippians church, with the Philippian church. I want us to let verse six resonate in our hearts this morning. See, it's an essential truth of Christianity. It's, it's what Jacob read this morning. And it, it's when applied properly, it's gonna give us joy in every area and every circumstance of our lives, this assurance. And this is what he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God has began a good work in you, if you have repented of your sins and believed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless, perfect life, that he died a substitutionary death in our place to appease the wrath of God, that he rose from the dead after three days, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that he is returning for all who call upon his name, if you have believed in that gospel, if you have been born again, then God has begun a good work in you. And God will continue his work in you until the day that we see Christ face to face, amen, and we are made complete. Without this stinking body of flesh. Warren Rearsby wrote that God does the work of salvation for us. God does the work of sanctification in us and God does works through us in serving. This brings great joy for us because all the pressure to perform is off of us, amen. Amen. Am I the only one in here that feels like they have a lot of pressure on their shoulders sometimes to perform and do things perfectly? Probably not. But this can bring us great joy because the weight of it all has already been laid on the back of Christ on that cross on Calvary. Amen. He has done all the work necessary. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. Just as he began this good work in the life of the Philippian Lydia, he also began a good work in all those who believe, and we know that he will complete that work. Rest assured. So Paul is not just thinking of the Philippians. He's not just considering their faithfulness. No, in this joyful partnership, Paul is also affectionately longing for them. Verses 7 and 8. Let's find it here. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both, of, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I admit when an opportunity arises for me to travel somewhere for a conference, for a speaking engagement, maybe a 25-mile grueling backpack through the Badlands. I get pretty excited to, to, to get away from, from the family and, you know, kind of get some me time, right, you know. But I promise you this. The moment that I get in my truck and I hit the highway, my mind starts to think about my wife. It starts to think about my son. I start to think, like, I'm like two miles down the road. I'm already like, I wonder what he's doing right now. What's she up to? Are they safe? They got enough food? Everything good? You know, I I, I just desire so bad to get back home to them. And I promise that like as soon as the opportunity arises, if I'll leave a conference early just to get home to my wife and my kids, I get so excited to get back to them. And I, I have this affectionate longing, this desire to return. And I can't help but think here that Paul has this affectionate longing somewhat similar to the Philippians. And listen to his words that I read there, you know. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers of this grace with me, both my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn. Man, that that word just feels like it's deep, you know? How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says, I hold you in my heart. And the heart in Hebrew and in Roman culture was not just a muscle that pumped blood, uh, you know, throughout your body. No, when the authors used this word, they were implying uh, their mind, their will, it included this innermost being. And Paul is saying that he holds them at the very center of his innermost being. He has them on his mind. He has them in his heart. And he is willfully making mention of them in his his prayers. His sure, confident, and joyful uh, relationship with the Philippians has been strengthened through their partaking of grace with him. Remember, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's awaiting trial under the watch of the Praetorian Guard. Praetorian Guard. Even in these dire situations when it may be dangerous to align with Paul, the church in Philippi wanted Paul to remember that he is not alone because they are standing with him. They desire to suffer with him and they likewise value their partnership with him. They are both They are with him both in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, even if it turns bad for Paul. Even if this sets the bar, uh, sets the outcome, even if the outcome of this trial sets the bar for the rest of the Christians in Rome, the Philippians want Paul to know that we have stood with you when you were beaten and imprisoned before, and we are standing with you now. Amen. Partakers of this grace. And imagine this with me. When the church in Philippi found out that Paul was arrested, that he had been through shipwreck, that he had been snake bit, that he'd been through a heck of a storm to get to where he was right now, when they found out that the life of Paul hangs in the balance, I promise you that they were moved with godly compassion. Their hearts broke at the thought of their beloved apostle suffering. Imagine church service that Sunday morning at the First Baptist Church in Philippi. I made that up, just so you know. There's no such thing. (laughs) Imagine church service that morning, that Sunday morning, whenever they met. When they got together to pray pray for Paul, as soon as they heard that news and they come together, I guarantee you there wasn't a dry eye in the room. They thought we need to do something. So they sent Epaphroditus with gifts and warm fellowship Again, igniting the fire that warmed the affections of Paul towards the Philippians. Imagine the look on Paul's face as the guards brought his his friend Epaphroditus sick, his life hanging in the balance, bearing gifts and warm greetings from the brothers and sisters in Philippi. Epaphroditus risked it all to serve Paul, to serve God, to serve his church. It didn't go unnoticed. And in this valiant display of Christ's love, the genuine partnership of the Philippians is proven once again. This invoking, this heartfelt writings that we're reading this morning. I mean, it's, it's truly Paul's love letter to the church in Philippi. And if you don't believe me, like I said, let's look at verse eight again. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the beautiful affectionate longing that I was speaking of earlier. An affection so strong, so deep, so genuine that only God can testify to it. That word affection implies this gut level compassion. In the original language, that word is splachna. You don't think that's very like compassionate. Huh? It sounds like you just ralphed everywhere, but it's this deep, bow splachna. It's this, it's this affectionate, go ahead and laugh, guys. It's okay. This gut level compassion. It's the capacity to feel deep and intense emotions or sympathy for others. I'm really curious about how that translates. Probably doesn't, does it? This yearning, this intense longing for the physical fellowship of the Philippians is not based on human love of the apostle. No, this love is derived from the deepest part of Jesus' heart himself. It's a godly, pure, Christ-like affection in which the apostle longs for this church. As citizens of heaven together, is this true of us for one another? As citizens of heaven together, is this true for our longing, of our longing for one another? So often, Christians get on our nerves when they act like humans. I don't know about you guys, but like, I'm a sinner too, and we all act like sinners sometimes. We all act like humans. But oftentimes, Christians get on our nerves when they act like humans. So often we dread the thought of going to fellowship with a certain brother or sister that is different from us. So often we long for and care for non-Christians far more and far better than the very brothers and sisters that we're gonna spend eternity with. And this sad reality ought to break our hearts, guys. The very brothers and sisters we have fellowship in the gospel with tear one another apart with their words and with their actions. So where is our affectionate longing for one another? for other Christians outside of this church. And church, I'm not, commi- I'm not condemning us. I'm proud, I'm so, so stinking proud of us in our relationship with one another. But I know how hard it is, and I, maybe, maybe I'm the only one preaching to myself this morning. But I know how hard it is to view other brothers and sisters sometimes in the love of Christ. And our affections for one another in this church embracing each other's cultures, embracing each other's customs, inviting each other into our homes, uh, loving each other's families. It's truly amazing and it's something that we could boast about if we want to. So like I said, I'm not condemning us, but I know how hard it is sometimes. But I just wanna remind us that we're all in this fight together. We're all in this race together. As Christians, we are all citizens of heaven. So may our longing, our thinking, and our praying be true and may it be godly. This leads us to our next and our final observation. We find in this joyful partnership that Paul is also praying for them. He's not only thinking about them, he's not only affectionately longing for them, but he has action. He's praying for them. Let's read verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a magnificent prayer. You see, Paul closes off his thought of thanksgiving for the church of Philippi with a prayer for maturity. You might think, Tanner, you're preaching to us about how awesome this church in Philippi is, how, how amazing they are and all the amazing things they do. How much more maturing do you think they have to do? And the reality behind that question is that while we're still here on this earth, we never stop growing, we never stop maturing. If I could have a shirt, I would, make, I would put a shirt that says ING on there, growing, maturing, walking. It's never until we see Christ face-to-face and we are made perfect. That's the only time we stopped growing and maturing. So it's right of Paul to pray for the church in this way. He wants to present them as pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And in this prayer for maturity, Paul begins first with love. And see, love is the most distinguishing mark of a Christian. Without love, all the spiritual virtues are unable to be exercised. Without an abounding love for one another, we are only a noising gong or a clanging cymbal, lacking rhythm and lacking harmony. In fact, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, "By by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you know the most scriptures. That's not what it says, is it? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you live the perfect life, if you take communion. No, that's not what he says, right? All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said the mark of being a true disciple is love, Amen. So likewise, Paul is deadly, deadly accurate to begin his prayer for the maturity here in love. Christian love is, is a love from the heart. It's a love from the mind. It's a love from the will. It isn't a blind love. It, it isn't a one-time love. It isn't an empty love. It's a love derived from divine revelation. It's a love that must continue to be nourished and discerning and abounding. It's a love with the eyes of Christ, the hands of Jesus. It sees, uh, clearly sees the needs in other people. That is what Paul is praying for here. That the church in Philippi would continue to grow in Christ-like love that is discerning and knowledgeable. A love that is able to see where it needs to serve. A love that never reaches the saturation point. a a, a love that that continues to overflow the cup or the vessel or whatever it's being poured into. Approve what is excellent, is what he says there. So the ability to be discerning, to approve what is excellent is a a huge mark of maturity. I want you to think about a child. As a child's growing up and maturing, uh, you know, they discover that the that the hot stove hurts their hand, right? That they, they discover that hitting people is bad, that obeying their parents is good. This is discernment. They, they have the ability to judge well. Rev is still working on that discernment, man. I'm telling you, he has not got that figured out at all. So Paul's praying that their maturing love will have this effect, that they'll grow in this maturity, this, this discernment, that their love will ask questions like, is this helpful or is this harmful? And Paul says all of this with a goal in view of the day of Christ, as every believer will stand before Jesus, not for condemnation, but to give account of their deeds. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And this thought of being pure and blameless for the day of Christ, again, isn't condemning, but it should be a sobering reality. Let me say that again, the thought of being pure and blameless for the day of Christ isn't condemning, but it should be a sobering reality. It should be a very joyous uh, perspective that brings about a purging and purifying effect on our lives as believers. He continues to pray that, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The conduct that will receive the praise of Jesus is characterized by the fruit of righteousness. And now this, this prayer of Paul isn't emphasizing the works of the law, it isn't, it isn't implying human uprightness or the amount of good deeds that we do in the view of the law. It isn't alluding to our own ability to live an upright life. The fruit of righteousness that Paul is referring to is the fruit of Jesus Christ that is produced in and through us by the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm talking about those kinds of fruits of righteousness, the fruits of the Spirit, And the reality is a life, the reality is this, a life that's been impacted by Christ is a transformed life, and it's a life that refuses to stay the same, y'all. This transformed life is a direct indicator that God works in the lives of believers. The glory for the fruit-filled life of the Philippians, or any Christian for that matter, does not belong to the believer, but to God. The fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ, and it is, as Paul says, to the glory and praise of God. It's only a work that God can do. You know that, right? He's able to take cold, dead, hateful, sin-sick children of the devil and transform them into alive, breathing, loving children of God. Amen? Only he can do that. We can't do that. This prayer that Paul is praying is a prayer asking God to produce in the church this discerning, loving, fruit of righteousness-producing life that gives God glory and praise. Amen. So as we close here, in this opening section of the book of Philippians, we've discovered who Paul's writing to, why he wrote it. We have discovered how Paul came into, uh, into the situation where he decided to write this letter. We've learned that as Christians, we are all citizens of heaven, that we experience true fellowship that produces joy because we have the blood of Jesus between us in common. We have experienced that, that, that beautiful example from Paul in the Philippians of what a joyous partnership in the gospel looks like. And we have discovered that a joyous partnership in the gospel produces devout remembrance and affectionate longing and a God-glorifying prayer that produces maturity. I should say God-glorifying prayers. So what, you might say, so what? What do we do with all this stuff, Tanner? I commend you, church, that your love, your affection, and your partnership is very intoxicating. It's godly, it's good, and I'm indebted to you always for your taking my family in, taking our team in, taking us into your church and launching us out. I'm overwhelmed with joy as I think about all of the beautiful relationships that God has, you know, established between us all. I made some best friends here, you know. I made some really good friends here. And at the very moment when we wanted so badly to give up and quit, you guys were there and you took us in. You sheltered us with welcoming arms. It was exactly what we needed. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been hurt before, but man, it stings. And you guys were a, a breath of fresh air, a glass of cold water, and I thank you so much. There's nothing I could ever do to repay you, and all I could say is that the very thought of leaving you guys and going to Imago Dei, it's I already have a longing, a yearning in my heart for you all. However, in the words of Paul, our love cannot remain the same, I cannot sit still, so let us all consider how our love could abound more and more. Not only for Imago Day, but for one another as well. So consider how we may stir one another up to love and good works. Let's dive deeper into fellowship with one another. That's what Paul is praying for for this church, to continue to grow deeper and stronger and deeper So let's dive deeper into fellowship with one another, not focusing on our differences, but acknowledging our ever so great commonality of the lamb who was slain for our sins. Of Jesus who was resurrected from the dead, of our eternal hope of heaven. Let us consider our unique citizenship of heaven with one another and allow that to bring us joy, no matter our circumstances, amen. Let us think of one another, share deep affection for one another, and pray for one another. Remember, we are partners in the gospel, partakers of grace, fellow citizens of heaven. We are a family that must stay united, a community centered around Jesus. And I hope, all, I hope this brings us all great joy this morning, knowing how great of a partnership we have for the glory of God. Let's pray. So, Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for your grace and for your mercy. God, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ, your son, who you sent to die on the cross for our sins, who suffered at the hands of sinners, an innocent man suffering as a criminal, dying for our sins, raising again after three days, ascending to the right hand of the Father. You are coming back, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your son. And Father, we just pray for this joyous partnership that we have with City Light Mosaic and Imago Day. We pray God that this would just be the beginning, that we would look back and we would, we would say, I thank God of my remembrance of you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. God, I pray that we'll be able to say, look at what God is doing in, the, in, in each of our churches, in the life of our members. God, I'm so grateful so grateful and father we just ask for your favor we ask for your favor to just enshadow this church that god you would continue to grow this church deeper and deeper that you would continue to mature this this church more and more god we just ask like i said for your favor and for your grace we thank you lord for what you've done We look forward to everything else that you'll continue to do in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name.